We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast coming at you Tuesday night. I guess it's now Wednesday morning after the Minnesota Timberwolves beat the Los Angeles Clippers to go to the NBA playoffs. I'm still wrapping my head around everything that happened. This is we are recording this immediately after the game ended. I'm joined by Kyle Tige, uh, editor in chief of CanisHoopus.com. Kyle, you took a flight here from Portland at 4 a.m. Just where are you at in your head with what happened tonight and and just where the Timberwolves are at right now moving into the playoffs? <laughs> that was fucking surreal. <laughs> right? I mean, no, I know we have awesome 40 atmosphere. things to go at, but... um. I mean, the the only way to let's just be honest. This is the greatest Timberwolves podcast there is, and Dane usually comes prepared with a bunch of notes and stuff. And we're just sitting here with two beers, just looking at each other, like, "What the hell just happened?" Um, no, I mean, I mean, it's just like I don't think for Timberwolves fans, Timberwolves players, the Timberwolves coaching staff, front office, whatever. Like, this is a time and a moment for them that. Honestly, they believed in a, a lot of us in the media didn't believe in a lot of Vegas didn't believe in them. And yeah, I, I think they have something. All of those people have have something to celebrate right now. And it's not the time for, oh, how is the pick and roll coverage tonight? It's a, it's a time just to acknowledge that the Wolves played better, played smarter, played harder and were, I thought, pretty clearly the the better team tonight because they did this without Carl Anthony Towns. The Timberwolves won the biggest game in almost 20 years of their franchise. I mean, this game was, let's just call it what it is. This game was way bigger than game 82, right? Like this was the biggest game in nearly 20 years and they did it with flat out, no punches pulled, the worst basketball game that Carl Anthony Towns has ever played in the NBA. Right. Um, and I'm sure we'll dive into that, but I mean, there's, they got nothing from him and I was just thinking I, I can't remember if it's one of the new ones but Creed 1 or Creed 2 whatever it is just they just kept getting punched in the mouth and we've talked and then I mean this is the last time that we can let the kids start listening like this is a big fucking deal like this franchise has such a muddied history of being ass and being in the bottom of every single year of the standings and like you said Pat Bev shows up in the fall. I mean, we, we, we have to run it all the way back to that September day on that Wednesday morning when Gerson Rosas gets fired. It's four days before media day, and you're like, holy shit, this team is going to go just spiraling. And Pat Bev shows up, and he's like, I've never missed the playoffs except for that one year when, they, when he did miss the playoffs. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, whatever. And then it was like, I'm going to make the playoffs again. And it's like, all right, dude, like, but you're – projected to win 33 to 35 games. And it was just one after another that whether it was a player, every player at media day said they had a chip on their shoulder. Everyone, everyone's stock was low. Torian Prince's stock low. D'Angelo Russell's stock low. Conley Town's stock low. Like 
everyone had a chip on their shoulder and they just went 82 games plus now the infamous game 83 and <laughs> said like screw it like we th the only people that matter are the people in this locker room and Finchie and we believe in each other and tonight was incredible because it just it, they you coined this phrase I think so all props to you like that whole letting go of the rope they just never fully let go of the rope. It was never, I mean, every time we watched, I think maybe the biggest lead for the Clippers was 10 or 11, but like it just never got to 15. And that would have maybe been a death blow, but just they kept grinding, they kept grinding. And it was, uh, I mean, I honestly think it was one of the coolest sporting event moments I've ever got to witness. I mean, the emotions that those guys poured out after the game told you everything you needed to know about why this was important. We went into this season as as you brought up with yeah a, a team with extremely low expectations um and and quite frankly a lot of like immaturity they were a, a very immature team the the year before even even when finch was the the coach even, yeah. the, even the second half of the season and and i think that was when you talk about media day and when roses was fired and all that there was there seemed like there was a fragility to, to this team just because they were young and because they were in Pre, even without Rosas, they were in some sort of transition to a new coach. It were kind of feeling like this is a team and organization that's scrambling. Rosas, before he was fired, was maybe getting a little bit desperate. And you were like, uh-oh, um, there's a lot at stake here, right? There is, there's Carl Anthony Towns coming up on needing to make a decision on, on his future. And this season or the next two seasons, we're going to have a huge impact on what Carl Anthony Towns' future was. And then I think most alarmingly back on media day at the beginning of the season was, was the idea that this was a franchise in disarray and you have a player on your roster who's 20 years old, who looks like that he has the trappings of becoming a superstar. And, and I was concerned at that time that what is going to happen to, to this organization this year, in the next coming years when Ant has to come up to make a decision on, on his next contract after his third year in the league. And, and I think for Timberwolves fans, that should have been somewhat anxiety inducing because there was a lot on the line and you didn't have a lot that you felt sure about. Right. And the one thing was Chris Finch. And I think the way that Chris Finch has synergized with Carl Anthony Towns, the way he synergized with Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell, I mean, putting that all together, it, if you would have told me on that day when we recorded a podcast on Media Day that this is where we would be on April 12th. Soaked in rain, drinking beer in the it, studio apartment. It, 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 it is just, yeah, it, it is not, this is not what we at, at all expected of this team. And it's been a wild ride over the, the course of the year as they've kind of scrambled to find an identity. And and they have. And I just give Finch a lot of props for the notion of which we talked at length leading up to this game, the idea that they weren't going to go away from that identity because that's what brought them there. And it's something I questioned going in going into this series. I was like, I think this is a specific opponent against the Clippers where you got to play to them and, and the way their personnel is, the way they're going to guard you. And Chris Finch did it and he was right and and I was wrong about that. And I just, yeah, really the combination of Finch doing that and Ant stepping up to the moment, um, that's going to stick out to me most. Obviously, there's the, sh the shadow of what happened with Carl's game, but they won. Like, we objectively should be focusing on that, the positive. When you listen to this on Wednesday, again, I, I can't stress this enough. I'm not going to blow smoke up my own ass, but like, I, I'm glad that I was on this pod because today is a celebration. It is an absolute celebration. Like I said, once the hangover settles and you mix in a blue power and you get to third, that's when you and everyone else that's really good at this will break down X's nose in Memphis. But today is a celebration because going back to the whole media day, we're also talking about like the way Chris Finch was brought in and how kind of checkered that was. And he never really had a moment to like have his own like real cool press conference, right? Like he was just slid into the head coaching role. It was kind of weird. And he already was kind of getting like some weird pub by it. And then, an off season where you have as many draft picks as the Minneapolis Lakers, you sign only your own restricted. Like there was just, it was probably one of the worst summers ever followed by one of the worst falls ever. And then to 
extrapolate it all the way to tonight and just see. I mean, again, the on-court stuff, everyone saw that. Everyone watched TNT. But just to see the arena, too, that place, like, that was a religious experience. <laughs> I mean, like, we talk about, it, like, it's okay, it's cool to be a Timberwolves fan now. Like, it's it's okay to come out and wear your blue and green. And, like, that was, that was a big moment. I don't want to think about the Grizzlies for at least a day or two. Like, you just have to relish in this moment because it's been, you know, 17, 18 years of just embarrassing, really frustrating I wouldn't even call it basketball. It's been really bad. And tonight was the highlight of everything that, like you said, Chris Finch has tried to, it was so cool to see him post game. Like, I don't know if he was crying. He looked like he was crying. Yeah. But I mean, he had been obviously soaked with water, but he, he, his first answer to a question was tough. Like he kind of choked up and he looked like he has been crying and that's the most even keeled dude I've ever met. 100%. And for him to be like that, I mean, you knew Pat was going to cry after the game if he beat his former team. Um, but to see Chris Finch do it was, I thought, pretty telling. Yeah, it. They uh, they played to their identity as a group, and uh, as a basketball team, right? The the basketball style they played, they played to the identity of their group. But they also played to the identity of themselves as individuals, I think, too, right? Um, with obviously Pat Bev and everything he had on the line, um, D'Angelo Russell. If, you know, like it's. The, the big game trope thing, like, I don't know. Don't doubt that. Like, that's that as uh, this is another this is another positive check in in the direction of D'Angelo Russell. And for somebody whose stock arrow, I think, had been pointing down over the past few months. um, Like, they don't win this game w- w- without him, too. And, and I, I would give the MVP of the game to Ant. But you don't win that without both of them, for sure. And, and you know, just to politely push back i think i would have if you had a game ball as fun as ant is right and what he does is electrifying um you know i got to cover a couple games as everyone knows when they were back out in portland uh this is my first game at target center this year media seats are right behind the bench um i i i can't stress this enough like to the point where i might create deal burners like i was i am such a fan of that dude 29 six assists five rebounds three steals one turnover None of that is what I'm talking about. When shit was going awry on all different levels, from Carl having four fouls in the first half to five in the third quarter to the infamous glue girl, it's just everything. D'Lo sat on that bike in front of media row like Yoda. and was just like so chill, never too high, never too low, and was just keeping everyone calm. There was that moment you tweeted about when like you knew Nas had to go in and like D'Lo shouted him out and was just like, hey, like dominate, like go dominate. He just instills so much like his leadership, man, is real. It's not something you can find on basketball reference, but he really is just this calming influence. He never looked like he had like woken up, but he dropped 29 points and six assists with one turnover on 10 of 18 shooting. I mean, that's just that's he it was the D'Angelo Russell game as much as it was the Anthony Edwards game, even though Ant was phenomenal. Yeah, to to that that point about what he he said to Nas and and we overheard from from the media section, um, I, I actually think that was a basketball turning point of the game too. And D'Lo, because he's smart, he recognized it right away when Cat had a checkout with the fifth and they put Nas into the game. Uh, that the Clippers reacted by taking Zubats and or Hartenstein off the floor, and they went they went really small. And and if you look at the the turning point in the game from a, a score standpoint the wolves exploited the clippers small ball which was supposed to be right their great advantage the 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 reason the only reason they wouldn't lean into that further is because they totally they could get away with zubats out there because they could put him on vanderbilt right but the clippers tried to get ahead of things a little tricky by being like okay no cat we're going to go small now and the Wolves immediately countered. They immediately recognized that D'Lo said, Nas, you're the only big out there. Go dominate. And then he yelled to Pablo Prigioni. He said, put me in the we'll game. In, yeah. And he went into the game. And and it became, you know, it became the Clippers switching everything. And 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 with Cat out of the middle, the Wolves were able to beat the Clippers in isolation. They The Clippers' great strength of being able to switch everything is only a strength if you can guard the opposing team's main creators and, and Anthony Edwards absolutely torched Marcus Morris in isolation. 
the, the entire game. And <laughs> him not getting ejected was actually a uh, low-key yeah. win. Like, I know the officiating is a whole other podcast, um, but it was kind of odd in the moment because when him and Pat Bev got those double texts, which we thought were double texts, and it was like, oh, wow, Morris is gone. And then Ed Malloy went, you know, he's like, no, he flexed on everyone. He's like, no, I'm here. I got to do my thing. Um, Morris was really bad after that. And, I mean, like you said, Ant just thoroughly dominated him anytime they were matched up against each other. Yeah, it was it was the the game change, right? Was was Ant's ability to uh, dominate in isolation, not only with the three-point shot, right? Like, we see when he has those ISO scenarios, a lot of the time, right, he's, you know, he's posed with the question of, is this is this a switch now that I'm going to go to my step back three on, or is this a switch that I'm going to go to attack the rim on? And I mean, honestly, he opts for the step back three too often, generally speaking. But yeah. I thought it was like a perfect mixture uh, tonight of of reading when and where to go and to push back on the pushback. The reason <laughs> I think like. Ant was the difference maker was is not to subtract from what D'Angelo Russell did at the end of that game, but the up until glue girl, like the flow of this game offensively was terrible outside of Anthony. I think he had 15 in the first quarter, right? Does that sound right? Yeah. Well, it was like, it was like nine to four or something. And then it they just needed that died. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, I don't think we're going to spend too much time on it, but like, <laughs> I, we left target center at one 30 in the morning and there's still a white glue handprint on this on the baseline. Like that moment was weird and just the energy in that building was so stagnant and gross. And that whole moment, I still don't know what happened. I still don't really know the whole story behind it. But it just like was it was like if your computer was like the fan was going, it was really hot, and you just like said screw it and you just restarted your computer by holding down the power button because yeah. it was an awkward delay. We didn't know how serious it was. I mean, someone had stormed the court. That's always concerning whatever the case and everyone just kind of was like all right let me reset my body here like let me figure it out and it was truly the turning point of the game i think they went on an instant run and took the lead it 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 was and i definitely didn't like realize that's what was happening at the time that like you didn't that, realize no that no, someone, no 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 oh. that everything i definitely realized <laughs> that somebody glued, glued their, their hand, hand to the floor <laughs> right in front of me um but i didn't I didn't realize the benefit of the pause there. It was like a double timeout or something, which is exactly what the Wolves actually needed in in that moment, right? Like they were offensively in disarray. Uh, just obviously, Cat was in foul trouble, but when also when Cat was on the floor, everything we talked about of them guarding Cat with a small, bringing double teams was working beautifully for the Clippers, and the Wolves were just kind of stuck in this spot of okay. What do we do? We want to have Jared Vanderbilt out there to be able to guard Paul George. We kind of feel like we need that. Yet, you know, that's killing. I mean, the offensive spacing was absolutely destroyed at the beginning of the game. You're like, oh my gosh, this is the worst game that Torian Prince could have ever missed. And then it just kind of pivoted. It just kind of pivoted from there. And you were like, okay, all of these things we were concerned about the Clippers doing, right? Being able to take away Cat with doubles, being concerned about Cat maybe losing his head, getting into foul trouble, being concerned about the Clippers being able to get into the heart of the defense and hit the corner. I mean, Norm Powell was like four for four from three at that time. And you were like, uh-oh, these were all the signals of how this game goes wrong for the Wolves, right? And then kind of from there at the end of the second quarter and into the beginning of the third, you were like, oh, wait, all of these quote-unquote bad things are happening but it's not phasing the overall identity. And they kind of just have experience this season of getting stuck in the mud offensively when teams do this to them. And, but they also have the experience of like getting themselves out of the mud. And, and it kind of, I think I, I, I tweeted at the time in, in the third quarter, I was like, I'm not concerned about this game because the Wolves are still getting theirs against the Clippers doing what they can do best. And, and you know, and Paul George ended up going on a flurry, and I was like, oh, that was maybe a bad tweet. But, like, the Wolves were not ever phased by it, and it was, it, was, it was consistent, and you noticed the attention to detail, which we don't always see with this team. And I just, I mean, I just give them a hell of a lot of credit for, like, not being phased by 
any of those things. It, there were so many things that should have faced them and none of them did. It actually oddly stabilized them. It's weird because, and again, I have to watch that game back because I blacked out for basically all four quarters, but like they were favored by three points. Like they were the home team. They're the higher seed. They'd won, you know, a half dozen more games than the Clippers. So you would kind of think that that team had the moxie more of like, the, we've pro- like we're the proven team that we've been their team. Um, which clearly isn't the case because the Clippers have made their runs and they're a really successful team with guys who have gone really far in the playoffs. But coming, just covering that game, it was like, okay, so Pat has three fouls in the first. Like that, like if you and I would have made like, what are the the doomsday scenarios pregame? It's like, well, Pat getting three fouls in the first. I don't know the last time I've seen a star player have four fouls in the first half. Like, While he's 0 for 7. Right. Like, um, again, like they ran out of coffee at halftime in the media room. That's tough for a guy like me. There's a woman gluing her hand to the court. Like there's just everything you piece together. It's like, this is all going so wrong. And I'd keep looking at you. And I was like, bro, they're down five. <clears throat> like, you know what I mean? Like they're down, like it's almost like an inverse that like you would think the Clippers were like this underdog team that was just trying to like knock down Goliath and just couldn't knock them down. And the Wolves just kept taking these weird punches that were coming from on the court and off the court and all in between. Um, and it just goes back to, I mean, you talked about it. The Torian Prince kind of scratch last minute thing was a bummer. And obviously anyone listening to this knows you see hoops through 3D glasses compared to me. But like he would have played such an integral role in that game and been so big to just throw on Paul George when you can't have Jaden out there or something. But um, I fell in love with Torian Prince when I interviewed, when we got to talk to him at media day. And I thought he'd be a fan favorite. It was slow. He came on towards the second half of the season. He was so instrumental on the bench talking to dudes. He was in Carl's ear all the time. And I just, that stuff is really cool to me because he's a young guy still too, but he's a vet. And those guys, when Torian Prince talks, people listen. And I thought that was pretty cool to see. He was kind of the guy that calmed Carl down for the most part, even though Carl kind of had his straight voltage night. But um, yeah, I just thought that was, I thought it was really cool to see. And yeah, there was, I also just want to say before I forget, going back to like, I was looking at play-by-play stuff. They had two buzzer beaters in the first and the third that were like low-key massive. Like it was 26-17 at the end of the first, and then Jaden hits this huge three to make it six. Malik hits that huge three at the end of the third, I think, to make it five or something. It's just like, yeah, just again, never letting go of the rope. If it was a tug of war, they just they dug their feet in every time they had to, and they never let it explode out. I think the Clippers' biggest lead was 10. Is 14 would have been tough without right. Carl, but uh just a phenomenal. You just got to give those bench guys a phenomenal. I mean, Jaden McDaniels doesn't have a great box score. Malik had 12 points, but just those guys gave you the minutes that you didn't know you could trust them to give you all season. When we're like, well, the bench is up, the bench is down. So let's mix in a quick break here. We'll be back with Kyle in a second. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. All right, we are back with Kyle Tige of canishoopers.com. Uh, obviously reacting to this uh, this Timberwolves win over the Los Angeles Clippers. 
on Tuesday night to advance to the playoffs. Uh, we're all still kind of piecing together everything that that happened on this night. Um, we, the first half, we, we really locked into a lot of the positives. Actually, we should probably talk about Ant a little bit more. But we should talk about Cat. And, and I... I don't know how worth it it is to go into what specifically went wrong because I I think it's actually just honestly pretty simple of he was just consistently committing fouls that he doesn't think are fouls that refs consistently think are fouls. And and I'm and that's okay. That happened and they they won and and that is what it is. What I'm really curious now because Anthony Edwards could have done this, and D'Angelo Russell could have done this, but Carl Anthony Towns is still far and away the best and most important player on this team. And where my head goes after a performance like this for Carl, where he was 3 of 11 from the field, only scored uh, 11 points, fouled out of the game, it goes back to the Houston series. And, and I mean that in the sense that the first game of the Houston playoff series, Carl had eight points, and he was 3 of 9. For the, it was actually a very, very similar game. And and my my gut reaction would be, oh, Carl's gonna be all right. You know, he's gonna he's gonna come back. You know, in the, the next game and go. But what we saw happen in the Houston series was that lingered, right? And and Carl only had eight points in the in game one, and then in the second game it actually got worse. He only had five points. And as we began to just think forward, not specifically previewing Memphis or anything, but the way Carl reacts to this um, is, is something obviously that is going to define this, this Grizzlies series. And I'm hopeful, but simultaneously concerned that um, he's going to really hear a lot of this noise. Uh, I, we were at the game. We didn't hear the TNT broadcast. I've heard it wasn't, it wasn't kind and that stuff matters, you know, to Carl. So I don't know. That's just where I'm at with my head with Carl of like, I want to believe that things will stabilize and will bounce back and be the all NBA player he was, but the small historical precedent we have suggests, well, it, it suggests in the past that he didn't do that. Yeah. I mean, I go back to, and I know that anyone who knows me or listens to this knows that I just have this optimistic lens on, like, I don't, I don't think there's any, like, you don't need to sugarcoat it. Like it was, He's been in the league for, I think, seven years, and that was his worst game of his career. Like, that was the biggest moment of his NBA career, and he played one of the worst games ever. And as a Carl defender and fan, like, they were fouls. Even in a game where the officiating was, I mean, because you could also see that on Twitter. Like, it was really pretty bad officiating in that first half, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the fouls on Carl were bad. And then there was one, I think he like drew a foul. Maybe it was in the third quarter or something, but like he started like revving up the fans again and stuff. And it was like, dude, we don't need that. Like you have four fouls and there's, we're 30 seconds into the third quarter. Well, and when he did that, Pat Bev immediately ran over to him and it was pointed like, at his temples. Yeah. And well, and I'm pretty sure if you, if I run it back, like I think 30 seconds later, he had the offensive, you know, he's trying to like the over the back foul that got his fifth foul. So I go back to the fact that in the biggest game in almost 18 years for this team, the best player, as you said it, and I agree, played his worst game in this team one. But I also That's think that this has been a, awesome. That sentence right there is wild and awesome for this team. I, I can't help. I think A-Rod's investing in this company, so he should hit me up. But like, I can't help but thinking these players are stocks. And like, Conte Town stock went full Amazon this year in terms of just... Up, 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 up. Everyone's making money on cat stock. And it cratered tonight. Like, I mean, it did because you're on national TV. My dad was texting me. Charles Barkley and Shaq were killing him. Killing him. And he won. I mean, the, the, imagine doing this pod if they don't win. It's, I don't want to say unrecoverable, but it's like that's, it's a whole other thing. His teammates, and Finch said it after the game, like, Someone asked him about Cat's performance, and like we try to get Cat going, but this is about it. This is a team. This is why you have teammates. Like your teammates pick you up. And D'Lo talked about it after the game too. He said, "You know, Carl has carried us a lot this season. We carried him tonight." But it will be interesting to see how he responds because 
he's still going to make all NBA. One of the first, you know, one of the three teams, he's still going to get paid, but he, you know, he was a fan favorite all year, kind of across the national media in terms of how he'd kind of played his way back up into being a, a superstar. And it was a tough night for him, but I just can't like, they, they won. Like, I think, I think that should make his sleep go a little easier to be like, okay, listen, like my teammates got me. I don't need to literally carry the franchise anymore. Yeah. He just should have not pouted after the game. That, that that's fair, honestly, that that's 100%. more, more, I, I think more concerning to the future than the fact that he got in foul trouble and he fell out of the game. Like that happens. That happens often with Carl where he gets in, in foul trouble and he, this season he did it a, a ton of times and still had an excellent season getting in foul trouble one game doesn't indicate that he is anything less than he was because honestly that's just part of his identity but it's concerning at you know 26 years old that you know he, he made that about him a little bit uh after yeah, the game 100 and 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 that again that and maybe it's just, you know, the moments right after the game. And obviously I've, I can't put myself in his shoes. I don't, I don't know what that's like. I'm sure that was devastating, but I just go hug Ant, go hug your boy D'Lo like, and then go fucking kick the Grizzlies ass in game one. Like you can, yeah, there's give, no you can give Steven Adams work. Just go give Steven Adams work. Don't worry about. Don't let this be an anvil that you carry with you to Memphis. And it doesn't have to be. It just seems more likely that it will be given the nature of his emotions that we saw up close in the hallway after the game. And I, I'm sure some of that showed up on TV or Twitter or whatever it might be. Like, you know, Carl, it's okay. <laughs> like, we get to go play seven games. Like, make Make up for it, but let this go. And I, I think yeah. I think any player, right? Like I think there's just like this isn't a Conte Towns thing. It's a lot of players, but it's like there's nothing wrong, and there's no age limit on being humbled. And I, again, can't put myself in those size forty two shoes, but like what what he does, we're we're so focused on celebrating. That's what I said today is about. We're so focused the next couple days on X's and O's, but like. He was one of the worst players on the court tonight. And he's still, in my mind, and I would love to hear your feedback, he is still the number one storyline when that thing tips off in Memphis. You know what I mean? Like, how does that dude respond? Because if he comes on on Saturday in Memphis and doesn't hit us with all, you know, he loves this phrase, doesn't hit us with all the jibber-jabber that he loves to talk about, like, and just comes out and goes 30 and 18, and they win or they keep pulling, but he can change this narrative if he wants. Yeah, which I'm really excited for him about right, is that yeah. is that because you're right. If they lose this game, if his teammates didn't pick him up, that anvil might that anvil might be Acme Looney Tunes ish, like Mack it, truck. Yeah, yeah, like because then you know, obviously you still have a chance again to get, play the Pelicans, and then it's the sentence. It just this performance would have aged terribly had they lost the game and now there's an opportunity to rectify it because the wolves are in the exact place that I believe is the best place for them to be. They are playing the team, in my opinion, in the Western conference of the you know top five seeds that I think is their best matchup in, in Memphis. I would rather play Memphis and Phoenix, of course, I would rather play Memphis than Golden State. I'd rather play Memphis than Dallas if Dallas had Luka. And I would say that this team has a better chance against Memphis than they would even against Utah. So, Kat, that's a gift, you know? That's a gift to, like, you got you got a chance to totally put this, you know, totally put this behind you. And, and you know, and I like Carl as a as a person. I, I, I hope he does for himself personally because I know this matters to him. I know it matters what he is hearing other people saying on television about him and just, just go do it. You, you, you've got the gift of the opportunity to be able to go to it. Let's talk about Anthony Edwards. I don't want to drain on cat, but you can say something on cat if you want. No, I, I mean, I would, let's just wait four hours. Let's just go run on Anthony. Edwards. <laughs> that dude, dude, that dude is so incredible. 
like I know everyone saw after the game. I mean, it was it was a funny thing after the game, but like it was also a I like to put like I like to put on my poetic hat. Like it was also a poetic moment when Ant and Bev did their post game together, and they walk up to the stage, and Ant is a kid and has Gatorade, and Pat Bev is an adult and has a Bud Light, and is like, hey, like just a reminder, like dude, Anthony Edwards, as I'm drinking this beer, like legally can't drink. Wow. And it's insane to see how he performed tonight. He did almost everything right. Like when you thought Ant would take a heat check three because he loves those step back threes, he would go to the rim. Like when they needed him to just get a defensive stop, he would do it. It's incredible that this kid is in his second year and he hasn't turned 21 yet. Yeah, Kyle, wouldn't you say it's like, aren't you not surprised at all that this is what Ant did tonight? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, like yeah. he... he he just, I mean, again, too, it's one game and it could totally pivot this series. And that's that's the beauty for Carl. You use this word, or not to go back to that, but gift. Carl received a gift tonight. He's been through a lot of shit, but tonight he was at his worst and his teammates elevated him. Go figure it out this series that you match up really well against Memphis. That gift, though, that Carl received tonight is the same gift that this franchise received almost two years ago. I said it like I, I as Black good, Jesus. As good as Carl the as, gift. As good as Carl is, man, as beneficial as that Russell trade was for Wiggins, Anthony Edwards saved that franchise. He saved that fan base. He injected something into this team that they never really had. A swagger, a demeanor, a confidence, just a an enthusiasm for just making people happy and ant makes people happy post game by saying some crazy shit Ant makes people happy in game by being really fucking good at basketball and it was incredible tonight i mean there was i think it was down in the fourth quarter but he was he needed the ball he wanted the ball he wanted to attack the rim he wanted to take those free throws um and again too whoever we split the game ball up to whether it be russell or ant like he was instrumental in again as a 20 year old kid who has played, I know we joked about this earlier in the week, has played in like zero meaningful games. Like the most meaningful game Anthony Edwards played in was probably when he was 14 years old. Because Georgia, he did nothing. There was no March Madness. The first year and a half with the Timberwolves, there was nothing. Like this was his biggest game. And as we just talked about Cat, and played his one of his best performances. Like that is cause for such celebration, especially when Bobby Marks has him ranked 24th for the top 25 youngest players in the league. Like that dude came through on the biggest stage on TNT and delivered. And you could see it too. I mean, Pat Bev was crying post game, but I don't think I've ever seen, maybe you have, I've never seen Ant that happy. Like that dude was shirt off. This is my city. Yeah. Which, and, and you and I, have, I mean, over the years, we've known each so other. For, you. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I think there's this, there's this um, connection here between Ant and who he is, and as a person and as a basketball player, and the environment at at the game tonight. And I'm like typically one of those people who's like, eh, maybe home court advantage is a little overrated. Like, are we sure that's worth three points? You know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, not tonight. Uh at least that much. I mean, it, the atmosphere, when we talk about like the Clippers not being able to go above 10 or the Wolves like staying at least with the Clippers pulse for the, the three quarters of the game, like I really do give the fans a lot of credit for that because 100%, that, that seemed to be like bumpers. 100%. There was no like old Wolves stink in the air. Yeah. There was a, goes back to when I said about like that, Wolves being like this favorite, like having the moxie, like they really, the fans, and I am one of them, like the fans were just like confident and that, I mean, you have to say that shit, you can see that actually now like leaking onto the court, like they're working for the team and Ant and Ant's working for them. I mean, to see the eruptions when he would hit those threes was incredible. They feed off each other. It's my adage I always say is like, I and I believe this think this to be true that like actually the Timberwolves fan base like didn't go dormant they have just been following this team all along from afar because I think there's just people in Minnesota who like basketball city right like I, I think there's just a lot of people in this city like addicted to basketball but 
I was always say, you know, they just they're watching the Wolves like they're watching Jeff Adrian and Andre Kirilenko like in their basement alone after they, you know, put their kids to bed. <laughs> and and I think this fan base was like waiting for a spark to like come out. They've been following this team like this I, this fan base knows this team has been connected to this team. They needed Anthony Edwards to like pull them out and be like, "Hey, you know, it's it's actually okay to like show your face and and wear a wolf shirt. People aren't going to just, you know, clown you for that." And I from a basketball standpoint of winning more games and going somewhere and building a foundation for a team that is going somewhere in time, that shit matters. Like if this team four years from now is in an NBA finals or something, it will be, it will be because Ant has elevated this team to a new level as he gets to stardom. He has an organization and a fan base behind him, and he has a already good roster and an improving roster around him. It's only going to get better, right? So that's, as a Timberwolves fan, I would imagine you're thinking has to be, this kid's freaking 20 years old. He did that. It looked kind of easy. And this is only going to get easier for him, right? I, he's going to learn a ton in this Grizzly series. That's what I've said all along. The experience of the Grizzly series is huge for Ant specifically. And it's it's just huge for the, the growth of the foundation of this franchise and this organization, like out of the freaking mud it, to, to be something like not be to not be like the St. Paul saints of Minnesota basketball. Like you are, I don't know. I mean, this is, I've covered this team for a while now. And this is one of the first times where they really feel like an NBA team. It just like, I, I don't know. I mean, I've been covering it full time since 2018. So the, 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 the Jimmy gets traded year was my first time. This team's been a fucking joke the whole time in ways more than people even know. Like it was falling apart. Like it was really falling apart and it's just cool. I mean, it's just cool to see that this is, that there's, there's something here. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't think this is the year of the wolves go to the Western Conference Finals. I don't think it's that. But I think what this signals is that they could someday. And I would have literally laughed in your face, said, Kyle, you are a stupid fanboy if you would have said that to me, you know, six months ago. I just turned to my swivel chair to look away from Dane because Dane made me tear up. That was pretty deep. I agree. I agree with everything you said. I mean, I really like... That's why I go back to my take of I think he saved the franchise because I would have you said it earlier you said it all year it's a fact Anthony Edwards isn't on any all NBA team like Conley Towns is this team's best player but correct me if I mean but Anthony how do you not leave this game saying Anthony Edwards is the future yeah I mean it's just like it's just like we don't need, I don't know. And I don't, and it that, that's not in the moment. That's just facts. But I mean, like, there's. But it also you can you you have covered this team. You go to every single event, practice, shoot around games, all that shit, travel. Like, I don't think it's at a weird stage where we also have to like worry about like face of the franchise. Like, I think that stuff is all fine and will just work itself out. But tonight, Anthony Edwards showed you that that potential. I think is the high. Just yes. Like, there's no one on the team that has more potential than he does. Yeah, and I think. Again, going back to fanalytics on my side, like he made it okay to like talk the talk and then walk the walk, like talk your shit and then back it up. That goes back to the whole Wolves fans coming out of their basements. Like it's okay to like, I've said this all year, the Wolves, the Wolves fan base, Wolves media, whatever, like has been a punching bag forever. And the league in general, the league, media, whatever, like the league, other fan bases, have no idea what to do when that specific punching bag starts to punch back. And if you want to extrapolate it then tonight, like it kind of seemed like that happened tonight when Anthony Edwards and the Timberwolves just started punching back late in the third and the fourth quarter. The Clippers had no idea what to do. I mean, there was 
down the stretch, the Clippers, who I think are one of the most composed basketball teams in the league. Yeah, and, they're a good team. And Ty Lewism, basketball savant. I think it was about three minutes left. The Wolves are up three or five. They just start chucking threes. Like they had no clue what to do. Bad sets, bad shots. And I think that just goes back to like the Anthony Edwards sh- show. This was the train was just coming down the tracks and they had no clue how to handle it. And it was incredible to see in person. It was incredible to see the fans and just all mesh into one. And like you said, deep breath. We've talked about this all year and people want to say moral victories or people want to say low expectations or all that bullshit. Like all this team needed to do this year, this team's still not that good, right? Like they're, they don't probably have the right power forward on the team, right? Like we don't know, like, you mean he didn't like when Vando was like kind of playing point guard at the top? Just oh, <laughs> hey, and he and he 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 gave them good minutes against Paul George. I'm saying like he did. This this roster isn't. I don't think Chris Finch is like at a five or three Michelin star restaurant yet. I think he. I don't think he's cooking with ramen noodles, but like I don't think this is all the ingredients that they want yet. This there are teams that are way way better than this team. The Phoenix Suns play a different sport than the Timberwolves right now. But all this team needed to do was get into a real playoff series against a team like you've been saying for weeks that they have a chance against. They're going to be like plus 550 to win this series. Like they're going to be heavy dogs. But just give this team now that just got this huge monkey off their back the second time they've made the playoffs in four or five years, the first time under this new regime, get everyone signed to extension stuff and let Chris Finch, going back to the top of this podcast, let him, and he is the mastermind of all this. Like, Carl might be the best player. I might have, might have the highest ceiling. There's a real case to be made that Chris Finch might be the single most important asset at that, at that franchise. And let him now and his staff do what they do best, and that's coach. I mean, those guys would take a bullet for him. I had no idea Patrick Beverly was in the media room after the game when Chris Finch was doing his thing. All of a sudden, Chris Finch or Patrick Beverly starts yelling, coach of the year, coach of the fucking year. Those guys love him, and this team just needs to see what this next level of basketball is like so that, like you said, four years down the road, if they're contending or if they're close to that, it'll be because of this series coming up. I was talking to somebody at the game who works for the team before the game, and he kind of hammered home it's someone I trust and believe that he was just like, Dane, like, no BS. Talk to every one of these players. And I'm constantly astounded by how they bring up Chris Finch unprompted and 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 who he is, how he works with this group, and just that they 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 you're right, man. They they love him. And and they think he's the best coach. And I I, I, I I remember being at Summer League and I was just I actually walked by Nick Nurse and that's what made me think of that he was at the at the the hotel and I was thinking to myself I was like okay if Chris Finch is Nick Nurse 2.0 how many wins does that add to a team you know if called if Nick Nurse is like the the penultimate uh you know coach and like how how much how much difference does that make? And I was trying to like quantify it in terms of like how many wins it is. And I was like, well, you know, I think if you have a great coach that probably adds three wins, right? Like you do like wins produced, right? Or wins over replacement. And even like your best players in the league are like five. So that's three. I was like, three is a lot. Um, Chris Finch is, is responsible for way more than three wins on, on this, on this team. And I didn't even know that was possible. I didn't even know like an NBA coach. I didn't know that job was that important and that I've, meaningful. I've I've learned that this year. And this team is not does not go 46 and 36 with a broken roster that can only play one style of defense that can't really do anything in the I mean like you need to be an elite coach 
to even get your team to the playoffs. Like, it's not that this team doesn't have talent. It's just a weird roster. And 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 Finch has expertise that he's developed over the course of his career that is literally tailored to to figuring that stuff out. So I, I don't know if he's the most important person in the organization. I think he's certainly the most influential. And he's I, I want to take you on that what you just said about like not understanding coaching. I mean, I remember when Gerson Rosas came in, he was gonna like have his coach, who was gonna be kind of probably a puppet, and then he was gonna have his offensive coordinator, his defensive coordinator. It was like a kind of like a college football setup, right? And I was like, oh, that makes sense because what do coaches And by the way, when Rosas wanted that to happen with Finch, Finch said, fuck that. Right, but it's just like I oh man, that was a really good take. I I kind of lost my train of thought. No, no, just like it really made me think, okay, yeah, coaching's not that important, right? And Ryan was obviously dealt a really shitty hand, Ryan Saunders, but you learn throughout that, like, even if you're dealt a shitty hand or maybe not the five cards you want, I mean, we're poker guys, you and I, like, you can still kind of, like, bluff your way to a win. Like, <laughs> like you can still kind of make this work a little bit without, like, and you might only have a pair. Uh, you might have three of a kind and not the royal flesh you're going up against. Like, those I, are good poker hands. I think I think Finch just, you know, I thought Ryan, and this is just me telling on myself, I thought Ryan Saunders was like a player's coach. And he related really well with the players. He fulfilled that, I think, my my, pers- my personal take. But the coaching part was just left a little to be, you know, wanted. Chris Finch is the player's coach. There were so many times, we talked about this in the game, there were so many moments in that first half where those guys were so rattled about a call and they turned to Finch and they wanted him to review it. They wanted him to use his challenge. And he didn't do it. <laughs> he never used his challenge. He said, a, I'm taking that home with me. <laughs> but he used he never used his challenge in a game that had 46 opportunities. Like, if you're big man. This is this is your way of proving that Finch coached. No, but it's like, <laughs> but in, but instead of like his guys, like they were like, oh, okay, like he's not gonna do it, back to work. Like they just yeah. turned their head and went back. Like, and there's just that strong trust that, I mean, I, I think if any other star player picks up their fourth foul in the first half, I think there's at least half the coaches in the league just burn the challenge mm. and just say, like, got to risk it here because I can't have my guy get his fourth foul in the first half. That's psychotic shit to happen. And he never did it. He just never did it. And they were like, okay, cool. Finch are back. Let's go play again. And it just, I think those are just those little things I mean, when there's a video of Ant coming down the tunnel saying, when the lights go on, I show up. Um, and he's really feeling himself. Made me happy. But then he turns a corner. He just starts talking about how good of a coach Chris Finch is. Finch isn't in the picture in that video. Like, he just, these guys love playing for him. Um, okay, whatever. Maybe he's not the most important asset. But, like, you're right. He is the most influential. And when, I mean, shout out to Sasha and Gupta. But, like, when things pivoted, going back to last September on that random Wednesday, when Rosas is fired, I think a lot of the stability that was instantly injected into this franchise was because Chris Finch demands stability and brings a level-headedness that this organization really needed. Well, again, which is the <laughs> there's like all these like uh, cards in this seeming house of cards that I would be like, no way, <laughs> you know, right? Like Finch. Finch is an excellent coach, <laughs> you know, like Patrick Beverly, but stack that one on top is a perfect fit for the side. It's like all these things we, we, we stack together and <laughs> I mean, just a ton of things that, that I questioned along the way about this team that I really do think were legitimate questions. I don't think that that was wrong to question them, but for Finch to have answers to every question um that's impressive right like sometimes he's kind of slow to to like figure out like oh we've ran into this blockade and it, it, it takes a little bit of time to you know to, to figure it out maybe over the course of a couple weeks or or sometimes over the course of a game but i don't think there's been like a problem that this team has had in terms of x's nose in terms of personalities in terms of just the management of people that that he hasn't been able to solve and 
most coaches, as I understand it, cannot do that. There are definitely times in a 48-minute game, if it was a 48-mile marathon, where it seems like the competition is starting to pass Chris Finch on the route, and you're like, yo, dude, you got to start sprinting. Like, <laughs> you got to start running faster. And then it gets like mile 30, and at like mile 38, mile 41, and you're like, yo, why is Finch not sprinting? And it's like because he a, just tortoise in the hair. Yeah, he here. just knows, you know, like I just I have the 48 minutes. I mean, there was there were moments tonight where it's like, man, should why did he just I think when D'Lo came down on that like uh kind of transition three that he had himself admitted doesn't hit a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> but that was one of the biggest moments of the game. That was like a real punch to the groin if you're the Clippers. And then Finch because I remember hitting you like, dude, can you tell me what's going on here? I don't understand basketball. Like, they went to timeout and then Finch subbed him out and he just got it. He's like, no, I'm going to go offense to defense a little bit here. There's only, there's still like four or five minutes left. Then I'll get Russell back in. And he just, he just gets it. And he never, it goes back to the stability, the calmness, whatever. He just never gets flummoxed. Right. And it's, uh, it's real. And again, too, like. It's a roster that needs that too, right? Yeah. Well, and again, yeah. too, it is like, and no one wants to hear this, but they did enter the season as like the fourth youngest roster in the league. Like age is a thing with this team. They are a young team. And again, in case Dane doesn't let me get back on, I'm not going to give up the mic yet this postseason. Like you have Finch signed now for multiple years. You have Patrick Beverly extended. Rookies never turned down their extent. Like you have Ant for what seems like the next eight to 10 years. And Carl will sign his max extension if he gets all NBA. Like, that's why today is a celebration because not only did you shed so much baggage, but you talked about it when you started covering the team. You've referenced it multiple times tonight and you'll talk about it. I'm sure down the road, X's nose. But when you went into that rocket series, anyone who covered that team or had a friend that worked there knew this stability wasn't there. Yeah. Good point. You know what I mean? I don't know how the Memphis Grizzlies series is going to play out, but I sure as hell know all those guys are flying back on the same fucking plane. <laughs> right? I mean, so that yeah. that's why this is a there, there's nothing in my mind. This is officially, this is the moment at 2:18 a.m. This is a moment where we say this is all gravy now, and they can now just go be educated. They D'Angelo Russell said it when he got here. We're learning how to lose. And that made me drink a lot because I hated that. <laughs> and I think you're starting to see them learning how to win. And you cannot learn how to win playoff games in any situation other than playoff games. And they have a real series. All seven games are on the calendar now. Let's see how far they get. But they have, we know where they're going to, we know where Dane's going to be for the next five days. We know when they're coming back to Minneapolis. Um, it's, it's, the cap on, like, it's a really exciting time to be a Timberwolves fan. And I guarantee you, like, the chair's not getting pulled out from you under this time. The Charlie Brown football is not getting pulled out from under you. This is a really cool moment for this team. Amen. They they do have seven games coming up in Memphis. Uh, obviously, <laughs> we, got a, we got a lot to dig in there. Uh, got a, I need to go back watch this game and kind of wrap my head around it, then start to try and wrap our heads around this Memphis matchup. But that's what's fun about all this is like the playoffs are like learning a lesson on the fly while you're running that 30 mile marathon next to Finch really slowly. It's it's gonna be fun, man. It's gonna be it's gonna be a fun few weeks. I'm I'm really I'm really looking forward to digging into the basketball of it. I'm really interested to see how um, as personalities, this group <laughs> responds to Dylan, Dylan to Brooks and Patrick Beverly are playing in a playoff series. It, it's I'm just saying, and I, I know that everybody who's who's listened to this knows that if I thought it was a terrible matchup, I would say it because I thought the Clippers were a terrible matchup and I thought that they were gonna lose they were gonna lose this game. Conversely, as I've been saying for a few months now. The Memphis matchup, in my opinion, is a very good one for this team. I really do think they have a shot in this series. And I would not say if that was Phoenix. I would not say if that was Golden State. Basketball, and I think specifically with this team, given the weirdness of the roster, is a lot about how you can match up with teams. 
that sets a point spread. And then another one, you like differentiate off of that by how well the big three plays, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you kind of have your deficit and then you move the needle off of that. Like, the Timberwolves can win the Grizzlies series. They can. And it will require a lot from all the players. It will require Finch pressing all the buttons. But I've said this like five times now. That's another line that I would think is insane if I would have said that in October. And this is where they are. And that's why sports are fun is we don't know what we're talking about. We don't know what's going to happen. Right. And I think to, to kind of close it out on my end, like you had mentioned earlier and it got me really excited. So I'm starting to sweat about like maybe making the NBA finals in four years. Um, I thought you like, were about to say in four weeks. I was like, oh, no, no, no. But like, you know, I think I think this Memphis thing, as you dig into it more, I'm just going to listen. But when you dig into it more like it has a ton of storylines and a ton of cool matchups and two really cool co- head coaches and the historic Patrick Beverly for Culver and Juancho Hernan Gomez trade. But like, I will always look at this through the prism of the Memphis Grizzlies in my mind, are just a year ahead of the Timberwolves. And last, and, and honestly, I don't like when people say that because I think the answer is like six months. I don't even oh, think okay. it's a full year. But, okay. but yeah. But, but so they're yeah. just, in my stupid-ass marathon analogy, <laughs> like they're ahead of the Timberwolves by a little bit. Now, but they're they running been? even slower than Fitch. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they, I just, I, I know this is going to get hammered home in all the different stories, but like they did go up against the Jazz last year and lose in five. And they were kind of punked by the Jazz. And they were just kind of beaten up by a better, more mature Jazz team. And I think, while you think they could win, I'm, I do too. But like, if that happens to this Timberwolves team, that's actually how you get enough. There wasn't enough data tonight in a play-in game, right? Like, you're not going to trade Carl Anthony Towns because he was yeah. ass tonight. Like, he's still an all-NBA guy. That's why you need four, five, six games against the same opponent making these slight adjustments to be like, can Nas Reed be on the roster? Like, can can we do we have enough shooting? You only learn that in a real playoff series. And that's what the Grizzlies did. Shout they, out Nas Reed plus 17 to Nas is awesome, by the way. I'm just saying. Like, if that's what the Grizzlies did last year when they were like, okay, we just don't match up well against these top-tier teams, and we have to get we have to swap centers. We got to get rid of Valentinus. We got to bring in Steven Adams. We got to make this tweak. We got to make this tweak. And that's what the Wolves are gonna need. Be, as we just said earlier, like they're still not a great roster. They're still not full of proven veteran guys. So this is gravy. This is a celebration. This series is going to be awesome. They do have a chance. But I think the Wolves now can enter this summer, a summer that I've been talking about forever, that has a whole bunch of moving parts. And they're going to be able to have the proper amount of information to make the decisions to take that next step. So you went from being the Kings to being the play-in, and now next year, can you be a top four seed? He's Kyle Tige at Kyle Tige on Twitter. Uh, runs Canishoopas.com. Uh, as I always say, the highest volume and most consistent Timberwolves uh, content on on the internet. Uh, read everything Kyle's going to write there. I think he still has to write his game story here at 2 a.m., 2.30 a.m. And... And Kyle, you do a great job there leading leading your team. I want everybody to to check out Canis throughout the throughout the playoffs. And thank you for um, helping me do a podcast here uh, way too late, so I don't have to do it do it by myself. And to all of you listening, um, I'm not really sure what the the schedule is here. I I promise I'm going to be doing as much as I can. It's been very hard to to plan. Uh, what this is going to be because we didn't know if it was Memphis or Phoenix, but I will be going to Memphis um, for that entire series. And I'm sure I'll have Britt and Krasinski and all the different guys who are, who are there on the show. And we'll break this down this, this Grizzly series as, as best we can. And we'll, we'll, we'll track it along the way. And I personally, uh, I can't wait to do that. I love to do that. And, uh, and tonight was fun. I hope, all of you who were there in the arena, well, all of you who were there in the arena, I know had a good time, and and those who watched at home it, as well. Uh, yeah, get out of the basement, man. <laughs> it's uh, this is the right time to say wolves back, wolves back. He's Kyle Tige again at Kyle Tige on Twitter. I'm Dane Moore at Dane Moore NBA, and 
I will talk to you sometime this week once I figure it out. Till then, peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.